Hi, I'm Leah Wheatholter, owner of Workman Forensics, and this is the Investigation Game Podcast. Welcome to the Investigation Game Podcast. I am here with Kelly Paxton. Kelly, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for coming all the way to Portland, Oregon. I know, that is so exciting. <laughs> I think now, after doing this, and now that we have the right gear and stuff, anytime that I'm traveling somewhere, I'm going to try to find a CFE to interview. You know, Absolutely. Or some investigator. And, oh my God, yeah. I mean, Skype is cool, but being on site is even cooler, and then I can actually meet you, and so that's yeah. really great. If a CFE is on social media, I feel like they've probably seen your name. Thank you. I know that you're in my feed all the time on LinkedIn, <laughs> uh, and I love it. As we were talking about before this, you have lots of hashtags. The thing that you're most known for is your website, pinkcollarcrime.com. Yeah, so I'm working in a local sheriff's office, and you know, I was used to arresting bad guys when I was a federal agent. And at the sheriff's office, we're doing garden variety embezzlement cases. They're all women, except for one man who I say stole like a woman. But I literally, I literally Googled woman embezzlers and the term pink collar crime came up. And I'm like, wow, what is this? And so I went down that rabbit hole and I ended up getting pinkcolorcrime.com, the website. Yeah. These were women that were, they look like you and me. Mm-hmm. They're nice. One detective said one day when she arrested a nice mom who's stealing, you know, a lot of money from her children's school, that it was one of the worst days she had as a detective. And it, yeah, yeah, you know, I call it the relatable crime mm-hmm. or it's the everywhere crime because we don't relate to Bernie Madoff. Right. We just don't. But we do relate to the nice mom or the nice dad who stole from the kids' soccer club because we see them all the time. They live around us. Their kids go to school with our kid. It was a total change in like my idea of a criminal. Mm-hmm. So that's how it happened. Yeah. I remember the first time when I worked at the bureau and I had to like sit and interview someone. I think, well, this happened several times, but the one that's coming to mind is I had been asked as the intern to work the financial, I mean, we're talking like a $2,000 loss. Okay. But it was hurricane Katrina fraud, fraud against the government. So it was high priority. And so we had to get these work and we go to like interview these people and like they can barely feed themselves. And I just remember sitting there like, this is not a hardened criminal. I mean, this is not, I mean, I just remember feeling so sad and yes, what they did was wrong, but oh, yeah, they're just the nicest people and they stole to survive. Good people make bad choices. Yeah. And bad people make good choices. There's the case of the guy who kept the two women in his basement in Ohio and you know who turned him in was a quote, bad person. Now, like, if it weren't for him, those women would still be in the basement. Right. And But he was probably scared to go to law enforcement mm-hmm. given his experience. So you don't stay in your lane your whole entire life. Right. So that's, you know, yeah. just because someone's good doesn't mean they can't do something bad. And just sure. because someone's bad doesn't mean they can't do something good. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We talk about that a lot at, in our practice and what kind of drove us to the data type investigations so that we didn't have to make those decisions. (laughs) Like we don't need to determine if a person's good or bad. Let's just determine where did the money come from? Where did it go? And how was it misused? And then we're done. Law enforcement can take it from there. Yeah. 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 They're the ones with the Kleenex. It does get, yeah, because it does get complicated. And one of my favorite stories too, or I used to do a case study on it. Um, I called it the mom of the year 
because she stole to be mom of the year. You know, her kids had everything. Her house was decorated to the nines. I like and, that. Yeah. Oh, that mom could be a new hashtag for me. It could. Okay. I'll <laughs> let you use it. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's a good one. So since this is the investigation game podcast, yes, we talk a lot about fraud and embezzlement, but it's also more broad than that. We just like to talk about investigative experience and techniques as that as well. And knowing your background of working as a customs agent, I'm kind of curious what non-financial cases you might be willing to share with us if you have a favorite one. So I do, I, I loved getting this list of questions because it brought back a memory of a non-financial case. I was working for customs in Seattle and there was a marshal and somehow our case kind of a case tied together. And so I got to go out on surveillance with him. Awesome. Oh my goodness. It was like, okay, he shows up in the white van, you know, like the, yeah. you know, yeah. the white telephone company van and he's got stuff in there and we go out for days and it is so much fun. But eventually we get the target and he's in a restaurant. I've got a helicopter up in the sky. I've got federal agents all around. And I go into the restaurant with a, you know, a colleague mm -hmm. and two women because we're not as yeah, threatening. Right. You're, they're not going to think you're an agent. Yeah. Yeah. And oh my God, I, I, I've got people asking, is it him? And I'm like, I, I can't tell you. He's got new facial hair. He's got a different haircut. And I'm I'm a little oh. facially challenged. Like, give me someone's social security number or their address. I'll remember it forever. But the face, especially, and the marshal's on the phone, you know, and he's like, just look from the nose up. Okay, well, it was him and we caught him and everything. But it was one of the funnest cases because I had never been out with someone so technically proficient. Yeah. And it was fun. a blast. It was so much fun. So that was one of my funnest oh, cases. that is good. And we got the guy in the end. So that well. was... Even better. Yeah. 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 So was it a fugitive? Did you? Yeah, it was okay. a fugitive okay. case. Fugitive, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Even if you had a non-financial case, did you ever use financial information to help you on non-financial cases? Yeah. So because you know what, I think most crime, with the exception of like you know murder out of passion or you know domestic <laughs> sure. violence things like that, it's about money and lifestyle. Yeah. And so you get say you know a guy who's selling drugs. Well, where does he live? Well, we got to find out if he owns a house. So it's yeah. all about lifestyle and money. And we can't, we don't live in a society that doesn't function without money. Mm -hmm. So money always comes in. And why do most criminals become criminals for the lifestyle and the money? Right. They want it for the money. So there's there always some incentive, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The incentive has got to be, I think in our world today, so much of this incentive is money. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, there's no, there's no beating that. Yeah. So what were some of the skills that you might have learned on non-financial cases? Maybe, you know, not sitting at the computer looking at documents or Excel or whatever, but that from the non-financial cases that you think help you in your financial cases? A big thing is people are creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. And so they go to the same grocery store, they go to the same restaurant, you know, they drive a certain type of car. So you see patterns. Mm -hmm. And there's actually this term geographic profiling that like you get a serial killer or a serial rapist and they look and they think they're going out of a pattern, but really they're not. The pattern mm -hmm. just is expanded. So whatever they're doing in their life, you're going to see patterns in financial cases. Yeah. Like, I mean, I had a woman who stole over $400,000 and, 
And um, I said to the detective, because I was the analyst, I said, when you talk to her, ask her what her favorite number is. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, her favorite number is four. And mm -hmm. he's like, how do you know that? And I'm like, because every time she steals, there's four in it. He goes, well, you know, there is only so many numbers. I'm like, no, it, it was clear. Like if we had dumped it in Benford, yeah. we, I would have seen fours just skyrocketing. And he thought I was crazy, but it's like people subconsciously do patterns. Mm -hmm. I drive the same way every day to work. Mm -hmm. I drive, you know, and so the patterns that in non-financial cases, there's patterns in financial cases mm -hmm. because people are creatures of habit. Yeah, that's good. I remember I did a ride along with um, Tulsa police one time and this was right after college. And I remember that this car, it was dark and we're kind of in the, you know, kind of rough part of Tulsa. And this car is like heading towards us and I wouldn't have thought anything about it. And then all of a sudden it turned, still wouldn't have thought anything about it. And he said, he's avoiding us. The cop said, he's avoiding us. And I thought, how do you know that? And so he starts explaining to me just what you were talking about, that there's patterns in just behavior in general, yeah. not just with numbers or um, a pattern in data, but just yep. human behavior itself. And I was always so fascinated that, oh, you could tell they were avoiding you. So then, of course, now we got to go follow those people. Why they were avoiding us, but that was yeah. a lot of fun. In some of the investigations that you've worked, what are some of the, your favorite tools? That you use? Of course, Excel. Excel's our best friend. Yeah. You know, I yeah. love pivot tables. There's databases that, you know, like TLO, Accurate, things like that. Yeah. But um, social media. I am a huge, you like social I'm, a, media? I'm a paid yeah. stalker. And um, so one of the tools that is a must is Hunchly. And okay. this is a huge shout out to Justin, Justin Seitz, who's in Canada. I call him my hacker friend, but he's not a hacker. Um, <laughs> as you're going through someone's feed, it's for collecting where you've been on the internet. Because as investigators, there's this thing we refer to as investigator fatigue. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you don't know how you got somewhere. Yeah. Well, Hunchly follows where you've gone so you can get it. And it collects it in a in a environment with all the hash and the metadata and everything. So if you do have to bring that into court, yeah. it's there for you. Yeah. And it has saved me because I don't know exactly how I got there. Yeah. So Hunchly is huge for me. Anything that, because social media is so important in our investigations. I mean, even though a case may not end up in court, mm -hmm. when you have pictures yes. and dates and timestamps, yeah. it's huge. Yeah. It is absolutely huge. I'm a big fan of Hunchly, but I'm a huge fan of social media because people just can't stop themselves from posting. Right. So. I know. If somebody's trying to pass something off as a business expense, I'm thinking of one like these rock crawler type things, you know, like, oh yeah, that was totally a business expense. And we traveled to some, you know, to some place to go use these big rock crawler truck things. And then you can show that on that date they were in at some competition or something. Oh yeah. I mean... Come on. Oh, I had yeah. I had a case where the guy, silent partner and then, you know, active partner, and, you know, they had bought high-priced sporting tickets for the purpose of entertaining clients. Mm -hmm. Well, I go on, you know, his Twitter feed, oh, wifey and kids and I are at another game and, you yeah. know, all this sort of stuff that... Yeah. You know, you're just, you got to get it. You got to grab it because eventually when they realize they're under the microscope, it will all go away. 
Yeah. So you need to get it and you need to collect it in the right way. And that's yeah. what Hunchly is for. So I'm a huge Hunchly so person. So we do, we do talk about too, um, you know, I told you about our game that we have, our game training, but we talk about how social media can also be a black hole. And so something like Hunchly could be really helpful because, you know, at some point there's some sort of diminishing returns of right. just like digging and digging and digging. But if you can find that good stuff and then move on, especially when you build by the hour, you can just yeah. become a black hole. <laughs> so the six uh, minute increment, the right, attorney's right. law. Right. <laughs> so, um, what about whenever you travel and you, you travel and speak? And so what are some things that you find out about by traveling around and talking to people? And well, I am lucky enough that I get to go and speak at conferences if I can, and I try and make it so, I always stay for as much of the conference as I can because there's other top-notch speakers oh, yeah. that you want to learn about. You want to network with people. Mm -hmm. People, you know, a lot of times you will be talking and presenting and sometimes it hits a little close to home. So they want to come up to you afterwards sure. and, you know, have that private sort of conversation. So the networking, going to different conferences like uh, Cynthia Hetherington, who's just a mm -hmm. goddess. Mm -hmm. um, I've stalked her forever and I say <laughs> we're now friends. And um, she does an osmosis conference mm -hmm. and it's the best for not only the material, but the people I have met there. I have contacts all around the world now. That's awesome. Like literally all yeah. around the world that I have no problem, you know, sending a DM to, picking up the mm -hmm. phone. So take advantage of when you're at an event to really be fully into it. I know a lot of people who go in and leave. Yeah. And I have a conference coming up where I have to literally fly in and fly out. And it makes me really sad Yeah, because I, I'm there to learn just as much as they are there to learn. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I do love, I, I participated in the ACFE's virtual conference this year and I definitely missed that part of just meeting people because I mean, I want to hear stories from everyone sitting around my table at lunch, you yep. know, like, absolutely. Tell me your stories. <laughs> stories. All right. Well, we'll be right back to my interview with Kelly Paxton. If you're a professional with continuing education requirements, then you've sat through your fair share of required training hours. Let's just say you probably didn't love it. And every year the requirement hours sneak up on you at the worst time. That's why we've created the Investigation Game, an interactive CPE training experience that qualifies for two hours of ethics continuing education. The Investigation Game, the case of the Man Cave, gives players the opportunity to walk through an investigation and solve a case based on actual events. Think of it as your favorite detective game, but with an opportunity to learn while you play. Players are given case details, decision-making steps, and additional case information to then quantify the embezzlement loss, identify schemes used, and uncover assets purchased with stolen funds. Gameplay wraps up with a presentation providing the case solution and awards the winning teams. This valuable event makes earning continuing education hours fun by combining a real-life case study with an interactive team-building game that we think you're going to love. To learn more or to register, visit investigationgame.com. Welcome back. So Kelly, can you tell us about your experience in open source intelligence? When we were just learning more about you and reading your bio, you mentioned that you have experience in this area. And I guess we kind of touched on it from social media, but do you want to give us any more examples or... Yeah. So, you know, it's FOMO. It's fear of missing out. So Facebook <laughs> is my friend yeah, and yeah. the Osmosis Conference. But 
you know, even LinkedIn. I mean, yeah. people post stuff on LinkedIn. I know people who have resumes on LinkedIn and I know they're not true. Yeah. Like, because that's, I've worked yeah, with them. That's so true. And it's like, really? How'd you skip that whole position? You didn't want to put right. that position. So, um, you know, love LinkedIn and you would think it's a professional platform who would do that mm-hmm. and it's like oh, lots of people would do that or the resume they submit for the job doesn't match their linkedin profile right yeah just it's... just the basic profile itself yeah like which one of these is true yeah, yeah. exactly i love twitter and oh, people yeah. are like how do you love twitter yeah i'm not a fan oh my god i love twitter <laughs> i just broke 2200 followers which was what? just like wow that's incredible yeah Good job and but i love it for personally like If I hear sirens zipping by my house, I'll get on Twitter and see what's happening. It's like you're having coffee with Bill Gates. Warren Buffett is on Twitter. Right. I mean, you get get to listen to people that you could never listen to. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, for breaking news, if there's some natural, you know, disaster or, you know, man-made disaster, it's on Twitter first. It is absolutely on Twitter first. So it's my go-to. And there's a lot of fake news on it mm-hmm. and you have to be selective and everything like that. But um Twitter is a great resource for finding other people, right. other resources. Right. So I, I have to say I'm Okay, on I, I will have to back off a little bit of my Twitter feels messy to me. Like it kind can of be. like cultivating it and get it like it feels like a big time investment. So I haven't really done that. But I do love that you can connect with people on Twitter that you could not connect with in person, you know, yeah. especially those with like celebrities or people with publicists and things like that. Like to be able to send a direct message to someone and maybe they don't respond, but like sometimes they do. Oh yeah. Or, or even companies like company reviews and telling somebody that something terrible happened and just getting that automatic response from a corporate. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it is really powerful. So I shouldn't say that I hate Twitter. It just feels messy to me as a user. Well, and that's how my hashtag got started. So someone recently told me I was the fraud hashtag queen. And I was like, Ooh, I I wear that proudly. (laughs) Um, But I started it on Twitter and then eventually it migrated over to LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So be sure on both Twitter and LinkedIn follow um, hashtag pink collar crime. But I did it to keep track of all my tweets and to see if anyone else was tweeting yeah. about that. Yeah. So I did it for a reason and now it's just grown organically. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there are reasons to do things mm-hmm. and the hashtags for Twitter are amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're well, helpful. And uh, on another podcast that you were on that I listened to, it was the uh, fraud, not frog. Oh podcast. yeah. So, yeah. So I listened to that one. Uh, this week, you talked about Google alerts. I love those as well. But do you want to share some of your yeah, so tricks about that? Twisted. I go to bed every night at nine o'clock. I get a Google alert for the term embezzlement. I also have a Google alert on my name mm-hmm. on pink collar crime. At nine, I get the Google alert on pink collar crime. And then I schedule my stories that are going to go out the next day. It, And I'm in the middle of building online courses. And so I can quickly put into Evernote that this is a theft for education. This is a theft for a chamber of commerce. So Google alerts, like everyone, unless your name is John Smith, you should have a Google alert on your name. Yeah, I do. I mean, it's, and I've told my clients that in the past and they're like, is that creepy? I'm like, there's nothing creepy. You need to know what people are saying about you, especially if you're high profile. Yeah. 
So well, I don't know that I'm high profile, but I still want to know if my name pops up in the news. But I've had some clients that are high profile and it's like, how do you not? And like one who's a friend who's high profile. I'm like, I've got a Google alert on you. How do you think I see all this stuff about you? And I text you and she's like, ooh, creepy. I'm like, but don't you like that when I know immediately when you hit the news? And she's like, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I Sometimes my Google alert doesn't work very well because wheat holder is difficult to spell. And so I'll find out later, like someone will look up a case of ours and it made the paper, but they just completely obliterated my name. Oh yeah. So I've got to like create Google alerts for all the variations, I guess. But what are some of your favorite findings from open source investigations? Okay. Another hashtag. Gambling is a clue or gambling is a pink flag or horses are a clue. The lifestyle. You're going to put your best self out there. You're going to put yourself with the makeup. Like when I texted you, I'm like, is this an audio or a video? Because if it's video, (laughs) I'm putting makeup on Leah. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you're going to show your best self. Yeah. And that's what people do on, you know, Facebook, Insta, Pinterest and stuff like that. So you can see stuff and it's like, you know what, that, how does she afford that? Or how does he afford that? And they're going to post it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why I love it. Yeah. So the open source to me, it doesn't necessarily prove guilt or innocence at all. But it just helps build that picture, the context, the story. And and then, I mean, honestly, the date and timestamps, those are just great to compare to the data oh, you already they're have. Gold. Yeah, it's amazing. I but, had a case where an attorney, it ended up not working out with the attorney, but uh, I looked at I looked at the woman's social media profile and I said, you got to get her a plea. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, she's got a huge gambling problem and it's all over Facebook. Yeah. And I'm like, he goes, well, we're going to go to trial. And I'm like, all they have to do is pull that up. And they're going to see that. And he's like, well, that isn't what I'm here to ask. I said, I'm just going to tell you what they're going to do. Because I've worked both sides. Right. And I'll show you where you can drive the truck through. So I told the attorney, I'm like, you better get the best plea you can get. Because the prosecutor is going to pull that stuff up. And the jury's not going to really like it. That she's, you know, at the casino every day day or five days a week. So, you know, he probably hadn't even, because she probably told him like, oh, I gamble a little bit. Maybe there's a smidge. And it's like, he probably didn't even, he probably doesn't have a Facebook account. Probably didn't even bother (laughs) to look. Yeah. So. Yeah. And what's more impacting showing all the times that she debited her ATM card or, um, you know, by showing a bank statement or showing pictures of her at the casino. I mean, those pictures or the posts or whatever, that's going to resonate with a jury for sure. Well, that's what I love about you with data. So I've worked with, you know, CPAs when I can only do so much accounting right. wise. Oh. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, I will yeah. sub with a CPA and I'm like, let's make it so the defense or the prosecution, whichever side you're on, can see how incredibly insane this is. So right. we'll do a little circle for pulling out 200 bucks and the circle gets bigger. Yeah. And then we then we'll, you know, put it into the picture of the casino or what, like, that's what the data, the data, I mean, we could show it on a spreadsheet, right. but that means nothing. Yeah. You put it on a, on a calendar with circles and colors and it right. just pops. Yeah. So oh, yeah, that's sure. why I love data. And pictures and yeah. all of the above. So one of my favorites, your, your story reminded me that one of my favorite Facebook findings was we needed to kind of. It was just in a lawsuit and 
there, there was actually no forensic accounting involved in this at all. I don't even, sometimes I just get those cases that they think, oh, they stole tons of money and then we do that and it morphs into something else. Anyway, so we end up doing this. They needed to know who all was owners of like this LLC. The letters didn't make sense. The registered agent didn't really make sense. I mean, it was pretty layered. Anyway, finally, one day I thought, I'm just going to go look at all of his family on Facebook. And I was able to piece together, there were four initials or four letters in the LLC's names. So let's just say A, B, C, D. The LLC. kids. It was the kids. Once Always I got into, for the kids. Once I got into social media, I could then find, oh, this is his oldest name. And this is the middle, you know. So we were able to show that he really did own this LLC. And yeah. Always look was, for the kids. They're yeah. going to be your weakest link. Yeah. So if you have the kids, you got gold. Right. Yeah. And that actually reminds me on even divorce cases. Oh, yeah. credit reports on your kids. Yeah. Because the spouse will put things in the kids' names. Yeah. I'm thinking nobody's going to go look there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's just so many things you can find <laughs> with social media. And, I mean, it, it, it is a little scary, I guess. It is kind of intimidating to think that that information's out there about me. But at the same time, if it's going to be out there, then let's use it to help people. So, yeah. And to show what people are really doing. You had also mentioned before that you don't mind working criminal defense. Um, So you'll work both sides. I really love it too. And so I just had to talk to you about it. I think it's so fascinating. But, you know, a lot of CFEs don't necessarily want to get into that. I think that's a huge mistake. I think it makes us better. It does. It absolutely does. And do you want to get on the stand and say you only work prosecution? No. I mean, that's a red flag. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So doing the defense work, you come at it with a different mindset. You get to look Mm -hmm. at everything, absolutely everything. I had a case that went on for three years and initially I went out and I interviewed a lot of witnesses and I said to the attorney, I said, you know, and it was a messy embezzlement case, but then there was other parts involved. I said, they will never settle with cash. Never. Mm -hmm. Like they just... From interviewing so many people, you could see how the emotions were. Mm. I said, but they will give something else. And that ended up solving the case. Wow. Because it was talking to other people to get the whole picture. And, you know, everyone's, oh, well, I'm on her side or, oh, I'm on their side. And it's like, but the investigator gets to go out, hopefully, and talk to both sides. Right. And then pieces it together. I love the defense work. I was on the prosecution, but you're you're looking down a very narrow focus mm-hmm. for just that crime. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I mean, there can be extenuating circumstances, mm-hmm. and and those extenuating circumstances might explain a lot. Yeah, and sure enough, they have been. So yeah, I've been hired by the prosecution to look at their stuff to say, okay, where's the defense going to find a hole, mm-hmm. and then vice versa. And right. I just there is nothing more rewarding than getting someone off of bad police work. And, you know, I was police, Mm -hmm. but mistakes happen. Yeah. And, and as we've seen, you know, sometimes it isn't even a mistake, but you're taking someone's liberty. Right. And there it's, it's so incredibly important. So it's the most important work I've done besides spreading the word on pink collar crime. Mm -hmm. That's why I love speaking is because I'm, reaching out and affecting a lot of people instead of just the person sitting across the table or being the investigator for a company that has an agenda. I'm out there educating and spreading the word and it's positive. Right. Yeah. Let's make this whole profession better as a whole. Like we were talking about before 
we started recording. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I have often put myself, you know, tried to put myself in that defendant's shoes too. You know, in a lot of the cases we work too, they didn't intentionally get down this path either. So, I mean, some do, right? Some like people we do just have our con artists, are sloppy. Some just kind of get in the middle of a mess or maybe they were running their business and it got away from them and then they kind of get full of themselves. And so then they're just using loan money willy nilly and then the market crashes and then they're stuck holding bag and the bank needs somebody to blame, you know, not to say that they didn't follow the rules on that. I'm not saying that at all, right. but, but maybe it's not as large as the prosecution is making it sound. Maybe it's not a $3 million crime. Maybe it's a $47,000 loss, but it's been made really big. Oh, that's so specific. Then obviously, you know, that I have worked that case before. <laughs> Yeah, I had a I had a case, a mortgage fraud case. <laughs> attorneys, we love our attorneys, don't mm-hmm. we? Mm-hmm. They're not the financial wizards that, you know, you and I might be. But like this attorney I worked with, she's like, you know, it's a mortgage fraud case. And she literally thought the bank still held the mortgage. And I'm like, oh. no. Uh-uh. I had to I had to educate the attorney and the judge. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? Mm-hmm. Attorneys and judges, they are like, oh, I go get a 30-year fixed mortgage or 15-year fixed. They don't know about arms. They don't know how they are packaged. Right. So I literally put together a whole presentation about the bank had to show the loss. Right. No. The bank, that bank that said they were a victim mm-hmm. wasn't a victim. They actually made money. So in that case, that the yeah. guy he he got dropped down a couple of you know points mm-hmm. on the sentencing guideline which yep. is real time yeah because a bank came and said well we lost this money and the attorney could say show us where you lost it mm-hmm. and sure enough we had seen where it had been put into a package and they didn't lose money they actually made money so the judge threw a couple of losses out mm-hmm. and that's the best feeling ever i would want somebody to do it for me yeah. You know, you, you never, my dad used to say, well, you know, I don't care if someone reads my emails because I don't have anything to hide. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Things are taken out of context. Right. And yeah. so they don't show the three emails before the three mm-hmm. me- emails afterwards. And so you, you can't say it'll never happen to you. You right. just can't. Right. I mean, yeah. So I hope <laughs> that someone objective who will work both sides of the case. Yeah. That ever you know, should I ever be in a weird situation like that? Because things do get taken out yeah. of the case or taken out of context. And then it's used to maybe make somebody look worse than they really should have been. Or maybe the loss worse than it should really be. So, uh-huh. so right now you have several current presentations. And the one that I had listened to is your honestly dishonest one. Yeah. And I, I really found that fascinating. I love that study that... Dan I mean, not like I want to spoil it for everybody, yeah. but the study that you use is so fascinating. Yeah. So the, the catch me if you can, today's pink collar criminal, a lot of business owners are like, well, it'll never happen to me. I hire smart people. I pay them 15% more than average. And, you know, we don't think it will happen to us. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people are like, I don't want to listen to that presentation because I'm not going to get ripped off. And I'm like, ha ha ha. Right. Talk to me right. in a year and a half. So, <laughs> right. But the honestly dishonest is in theory, we all have ethics. So every there should be no pushback on that. And at the end of the day, I just want people to look into a mirror and I want them to feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. That presentation shows how easy it is to, you know, the fraud triangle, opportunity, pressure, and rationalization, how easy it is to rationalize bad mm-hmm. behavior. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, we look in the mirror and we're like, oh, not so bad. 
Right. And it's like, mm, maybe not. And the big part of that presentation is ethics is a muscle and you need to use it all the time. Right. Like, especially if you have kids, oh my God, you can't just do one thing and then go do another thing. They, they see it. Right. My takeaway was like, how can we get our standards and values in front of like, as a business owner, how do I get that in front of my employees as much as possible so that whenever they're put into a potentially compromising situation, they can be reminded of that. And so the results of that study just yeah. definitely show that, that, that that's very needed and that's a great safeguard and it ultimately internal control. Yeah. Tone at the top. I mean, tone at the top, mood in the middle. It's just so important because your employees are looking at you mm -hmm. and you know, they're not stupid because again, you hired them because they were smart. Right. So don't think they're stupid and that you're pulling the wool over their eyes when, you know, you're going out for the $10,000 dinner or this week, I just posted a guy who stole allegedly $11.4 million from a church. And there is club 33 at Disneyland. It oh, costs like twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars for your initiation fee, yeah. and then annual dues are anywhere from ten to twenty a year. Like, oh my goodness! Actually, <laughs> that reminded me too. One of the most common things that business owners have told me about if there's someone that they think might be stealing, but they don't really know, and they'll say she's too dumb to steal. Oh my! Right, okay, my dad. My dad, perfect, uh, perfect example. Growing up, he had an administrative assistant and, you know, then they split. He said, you know, when I realized she stole from me, I also realized she was smarter than me. And I'm like, you think, dad? You think? <laughs> like, and so right. that's one of my three teachings of my pink collar is there is no honesty chromosome. Women are not more honest than right. men. We right. might be socialized to be more honest than men, but there's no chromosome. Mm -hmm. And then number two, the workplace has changed. Yeah. And so women just aren't down here. They're all over. Right. And then three, never, ever underestimate a woman mm -mm. like my dad did, mm -hmm. you right. know? Yeah. Right. So, and a hundred percent of the time when a client tells me, oh, she's too dumb to steal. She is stealing a hundred percent of the time. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I let, yeah. If I had a client who said she's too dumb to steal, I think I'd turn around and leave. I think I might have to turn around and leave. Yeah. Or I might go help her. No, right. <laughs> they think you're real dumb. Just, yeah, just like, keep going. Up. Get up to 53 million. Like, buy yeah. us some horses, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Oh, my God. I have not heard that. But if I do, that is going to be my life. Yeah. Yeah. But it's shocking how often it's happened. You know, well, I mean, can you just come in here and look at a few things? I'm pretty sure she's too dumb to have done that. But, you know, and then... How oh my God. Later. Well, so I'm curious. So I've heard the honestly dishonest and you have your pink collar crime presentation. Do you have any that are on the horizon that we should be looking out for? So the, I found um, a new to me, but old paper called Why Honest People Steal. Mm -hmm. And it's by Virgil Peterson in like 1947, ex-FBI, I think. Mm -hmm. And so because some people don't like the term pink collar crime, mm -hmm. they think it's mm -hmm. sexist, which it's not. Right. It's right, position, not gender. But so I'm looking at doing a presentation of why honest people steal. It's mm -hmm. going to have a lot of the same material, but I think people, business owners are going to like that title better, mm -hmm. like, which mm -hmm. is silly, but I mean, it's all about getting the message out. So if I need right. to rebrand it to why honest people steal, because right. most of the people I've dealt with are what we would consider honest. Mm -hmm. um, so that is one of the presentations. And then I'm working on another ethics ones. Of, I've done it before, could versus should, just changing what should you do to what could you do. Mm -hmm. It changes 
complete perspective. You kind of hit on that. Yeah, and honestly, dishonest. I've added a little bit of it. It's a fantastic paper by Francesca Gino. So, but it all comes down. I mean, all of this comes down to money. Yeah. I mean, it really comes, everyone needs a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. People just have different ideas of what it takes. There, I had a thing on my wall for a long time and my husband hated it. It was like, if you show me a person's checkbook, I can tell you everything there is to know about that person. And I really yeah, believe it like true. because you see where they spend, where they yeah. don't spend, where they're generous, where they're not generous. You give me someone's checkbook or debit card or whatever, what they have. I can tell you a lot about that person. Yeah. A lot, a lot about that person, good or bad. And you know mm-hmm. what? A bad person's going to have good expenses and a good person yeah. is going to have bad expenses. Right. So, but you give me someone's checkbook uh, and unless, you know, you're a monk or a nun and, oh, I have nuns who have stolen, who've gotten right. little gambling right. habits, yeah. you know, but someone who's taken a vow, a real vow of poverty, everyone mm-hmm. needs money and money, unfortunately, is a scorecard. Yeah. I had a, a guy that um, stole a little in excess of uh, $600,000 and it was so that he could put his kids through college. And he had told them that he would take care of everything. And, you know, I, I'm sitting there and we actually interviewed this guy who was super helpful, like so helpful that I would call him after the fact and would say, hey, you told us that we would see this pattern, but I'm now seeing this. What were you doing in this situation? It was kind of complicated with inventory and stuff. And he's like, oh, I forgot I did that. I mean, he was telling me everything. He was a really nice guy. So that always makes that real tough. That That's a tough interview. But so we're talking to him and, you know, he's just almost in tears. Like, I just told my kids and I didn't want to let my kids down and all this stuff. But then at the same time, you feel for him. But he could have gone and gotten a loan for the same thing. Yeah. Right. So and his kids could have gone to community college and then state school instead of Harvard or wherever it was. Yeah. Private school and making sure they had food money and car money and bottom cars and all that. My yeah. kids did not get cars at school. I'm the same thing. The same thing. I'm like, I had to pay for mine. I don't. Okay. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, it does. It comes down to money. And what is that decision in that moment of how to fund a habit or how to fund a lifestyle? And there are lots of different ways to do that. But the choice to steal from your employer, I think often seems easy. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a study that was done in the 1950s, Sykes and Matza, on neutralization. And there's like five different things. It gets a little complicated. But one of it is like, you know what? There's no victim because you're a huge corporate. Yes. It's a huge corporation or like, you know, they owe it to me. or And there's differences between men and women on which sort of neutralizations they do. But the victimless crime, there is no victimless crime. There right. just mm-hmm. is not a victimless crime. No. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's a perception. It's the rationalization piece of the fraud triangle. Yeah. And, and then also the study in, in your presentation too, about how, if we, the further distance from someone and the more that we don't have a relationship with someone, then the more likely that someone's going to choose to be unethical or make a choice that harms others. Yeah. So moving away from cash in our society is huge. I mean, right. like I said, my kids don't even know how to write a check. Like they literally yeah. don't, they're like, eh, debit, swipe it, you know, swipe left, swipe right, mom. I don't know. So yeah. um, they don't know how to do it. So they don't have that perception of cold, hard cash. Right. And what it takes. And like looking at somebody in the eye or mm-hmm. I, I'm here in Portland with a group of women business owners. And one of them had mentioned one time that they'll get like chargebacks on credit cards. So the customer will come and use their service and then call the credit card company and say, this was unauthorized or do a chargeback. 
And I thought, oh, it's because they don't know who owns this actual business. Right. You know, so the further away Absolutely. you're getting from the person, like there is a victim. Yeah. Um, oh, my sister a friend owns, of mine. No. Yeah. <laughs> my sister owns a store and she'll get that. And it's just like, what do you do? It's, but I, I bet if she ran data analysis yeah. of that, it would be the return or false returns, whatever the people that come into the store versus the online, huge yeah. difference. Yeah. Huge, huge oh, difference. Oh, I bet you're right. Yeah. Just, Where they didn't have to look at you mm-hmm, and, look and at your say like, it didn't really work. And you know, right. the face is beautiful or, right. you know, it's right. like, oh, it well, is. I think we could probably talk about this all day. Uh, <laughs> can you just tell everyone, I mean, all your hashtags, obviously yeah. you can give it throughout, but how do our listeners connect with you? So I you? have the www.pinkcolorcrime.com. I also have kellypaxton.com. LinkedIn, you know, hit me up on LinkedIn. I just sent, someone just got their CFE. So I sent a nice congratulations. They're like, oh, so yeah. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Like you said, oh, I see it in and, my feed every um, day. Twitter. And then, you know what? Just send me an email. The best things in my life that have happened mm-hmm. have been for me picking up the phone, sending an email, sending a message. Yeah. You never know what's happening to a person at that point in their life, but everyone really wants to help. And I want to help. So reach out to me, Twitter, LinkedIn, websites, pick up the phone. I'm good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things of starting the podcast, even though this was not what I planned on doing with my life. But I love the podcast that it's given us a way to connect with other fraud examiners and accountants and victims, all kinds of people to just all across the country. And so it's yeah. really fun. So I'm going to have to take more trips and go meet more people. And, you know, this Ex- is going to be great. Exactly. So. Well, I appreciate you spreading the word on Pink Collar Crime. Yes, of course. Well, thank <laughs> you so much for being on our podcast. It was really great. Awesome. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To get updates on future podcast events and resources, please subscribe to our podcast, our YouTube channel, and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.